0: Hello friends, this is the Messenger Podcast, where our goal is to develop messengers whose lives tell the story of the gospel. I'm your host, Addison Bevere, and currently we are in the middle of our Reset Church series. There are some amazing things happening in the global church, but that's not necessarily the story being told. Hopefully we can present a new narrative by introducing you to emerging leaders who are working to advance the gospel in compelling and creative ways. Today I'm joined by Paul Son. Paul is the founder of Cara, an organization that empowers 20-somethings to discover their God-given identity and calling. He is an award-winning blogger, leadership coach, and speaker. His blog has been ranked as one of the top 50 leadership blogs to follow, and Christianity Today has named Paul among the top 33 under 33 Christian millennials. To watch, Paul. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thanks, Addison. Really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, man. And I, I heard you did a show earlier today with my dad for your podcast.
1: Yes, I did. It was awesome. I'm glad to awesome. be part of the family now. <laughs> I know, man. I know. This
0: is a. It's a lot of a uh, lot of work in one day. It's cool. Well, we we appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. I know you got a lot of things going on, and and I know a bit about you, but I would love for our listeners to get to learn more about you. So why don't you tell us a bit about your journey and why you founded your
1: organization sounds good so uh, i am the founder of a organization called Kara, and for those who don't really know what that means is actually a hebrew word which means to call and um, god gave me this idea and this burden for my generation and those who are in their millennials their 20s and early 30s who are asking this fundamental question about their purpose and their calling and many of them feel so confused And that's how I kind of created this organization because it kind of started out of my own um, story and my own struggles. Uh, For me personally, uh, in my mid-20s, I went through a quarter-life crisis and pretty much I was in a place where my dream was to become the youngest chief human resource officer at a Fortune 50 company. And, you know, I had this whole 20-year strategic plan, a vision of my life. I got into my dream job working for a company called Boeing. Um, and, and after about six months into this job, I, I experienced a sense of deep um, and profound emptiness and restlessness, And I honestly didn't know why I was experiencing this, but it came to a point where I was almost experiencing depression. And I remember, uh, you know, long story short, uh, one day just praying out to God, I'm like, God, why am I so empty? And why am I so unfulfilled, God? And as I was making that prayer, um, I I remember God was saying to me, you know, Paul, you've been asking the wrong questions all your life. And and that's when I realized that everything in my life was about what I wanted, you know, what kind of school I wanted to go to, what kind of job I wanted to have. And never once did I ask God, God, what is your plan for my life? And and that became kind of this fork in a road moment for me because the next day I got to share this story with my mentor and my mentor gives me a book called The Call by Oskines and It is one of those books that literally changed my life because it redefined how I see success. So um, as a result of that, you know, four years into Boeing, I, I said, I can't continue doing this. I need to do something with my life, be more intentional with my calling, ended up quitting my job at the age of 28. Didn't have a you know plan B. Pretty much at that point, I knew God wanted me to write a book on this. So um, a, a year later, I wrote a book called "Quarter Life Calling: Pursuing Your God-Given Purpose in Your 20s." And, you know, that became a huge um, journey of itself because God opened all these doors for me to go and speak to, you know, millennials in America and in the Philippines and Korea, which is my where I come from and and all parts of Asia. And now I'm here. So it's been an incredible roller coaster ride, but it's been an amazing journey where God's been leading me. Wow.
0: So what, what would you say was the tipping point for you? The day where you're like, I, I have to I have to make a change. What what caused that
1: for you? You know, um, I was one of the youngest person in our team. We had a team of about twelve people, and I was like the only twenty something there. And all my colleagues were actually in their early to mid fifties. So there was a guy named um, uh, Dave who was asking Steve this this question, like, Hey, how how many um, how much time do you have left to uh, to retire? right and, and steve goes uh, i have 1310 days left and i was wow. listening to this and i'm like what like this guy must be joking right like he this guy <laughs> couldn't be just counting every day but he was dead serious and i was like what is going on and that's when i realized like gosh like if i don't do anything with my life and be intentional and steward my calling this is me in 20 years you know and that's when it really frightened me and that's when i had to do something about my life and i just couldn't worry about what's going to happen but i needed to make a dramatic change and i knew for me at the time after four and a half years i had to quit my job and to move on and really step into my calling
0: so paul at that time did you realize that god had a call for your life that he had a plan for your life or was that the first day where you were like man God's actually called me to do something, and I, I think I need to figure out what that is. you
1: know it it was a more of a merging process, I think for me so for four four and a half years. I wrestled with this question of what is my calling, right? So for me, um, I, I love reading, I love learning. So I started off by reading every single book I can find on this topic on calling. So I started to read all this book and started to ask myself the hard questions. You know, what is my purpose? How did God design me? What, what makes me unique? You know, all these important questions. And that's when I realized that God has a calling on my life. And for me, it was all about raising up uh, this generation of leaders who are living their life out of their identity, rooted in Christ, their calling, instead of of a, a specific performance driven attitude, which for me was part of my journey. But being able to be free for that is kind of what I've sensed what God's been calling me through uh, not only just these assessments and reading, but as I was seeking feedback from my own circle of friends, that's what they affirmed for me as well. Yeah.
0: So you were essentially using your career to uh, to bolster this sense of significance. oh yeah for sure absolutely yeah yeah. And isn't it amazing when we realize the the mystery and the wonder of what Paul writes in Ephesians two that we are his workmanship. Mm. Absolutely. created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like God, yes, God did create us to to function, to express what He's placed inside of us. But it's really easy to allow that expression of what He's placed inside of us to become an mm-hmm. idol in our lives. And that often takes the form of a, a certain type of career. And that's a scary thing to do. That's a scary thing to be honest about. And you at 28 years old, you said, you know what? I feel like God has asked me to take the step of faith and now your life has been opened up in a way where you were no longer looking for status. You were no longer looking for significance. You were actually looking for a way to serve.
1: Mm.
0: You, you ask God, like, God, what does it mean to serve my generation? Yeah. And then what, it, what did he give you? He gave you influence. <laughs> that's, that's, why, that's, why, that's why you're on this episode. He gave you influence because you said, God, I'm not, I'm not looking to use my career to bolster a sense of significance. I'm looking to use whatever you placed on my life to serve the people that you placed in my world. And I think that's beautiful, man.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I learned throughout this process is I had to die to myself, right? And we, we read that from the epistles and being crucified with Christ. But for me, it, it was a real uh, sense of dying to my ambitions, dying to my ego, dying to my needs and my wants, and actually asking the caller, God, you are calling me. For something and it is not necessarily my version of American dream but it is what you want so what is that God so being open to that I think uh, surrendering myself was the number one step of the process in really allowing me and God to, to do things through my life which has been amazing absolutely I mean surrender is always the first step of any journey all
0: right I want to I want to hone in that conversation on church um, since since we're talking about this whole idea of resetting church, you're clearly passionate about calling. So I, I so I want to ask you a question: How do you view that intersection of calling and church? And would would you say that there are a lot of millennials and a lot of Gen Z um, who are walking away from church because they're not finding a calling within church?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I see it all the time where um... Young people, generally one of the top questions they're asking is, well, what is my calling in my life, right? Um, Or if they're a young professional, how does my work intersect with my faith? And unfortunately, at, at a local church level, these questions are unanswered. And as a result of that, many of them are feeling confused. They don't know what to do. And I feel there's a huge opportunity as a church to be able to provide resources, connections, opportunities, and it's just a safe space for, for these millennials to come out with their unanswered questions and, and to really have these authentic dialogues and conversations with others. Maybe it could be someone who's in the same field, but they're 20, 30 years down the road and being able to Build these authentic connections and uh, community. I think is going to really be a game changer, honestly, for the next generation. Yeah,
0: my dad, he's actually super passionate about that same idea. He wants to see the generations connected, mm. and and see the similar interest groups or the similar vocations be able to um, to impart that general generational wisdom, and then also to share the innovation that typically comes with, from the younger generation. So there was an earlier episode that we did in this series. Uh, it was with Tyler, and he mentioned that their research shows increasingly more young people do not consider religion or church as a core part of their identity, or you could say as a core part of their calling. Um, what do you think is forming young people's understanding of who they are and what that means concerning what they do?
1: Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is... Um only 11% of Christians have read the Bible cover to cover. And if you think about millennials, they're they're not getting their sense of values, their beliefs and identity is not being rooted in the word of God. And as a result of that, they're getting that identity from elsewhere, right? And I think a big part of it is culture, obviously is what they see. Uh, social media it, it is a huge issue because we're the most socially connected um, world we're living in, at the same time, um, a lot of what we see on social media is not reality. And I think because uh, young people, they don't really understand that. They think what they see is reality because we're spending so much time on our phones. That's ha- has significantly impacted how we see ourselves, how we see the world.
0: Yeah. And would you, would you say one of the reasons why young people don't feel safe to navigate the issues that they're facing because of what culture is putting in front of them because of what they're facing in their day-to-day lives is, is because they don't feel like church is a safe place for them to grow. Well, yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that's uh, really important because, um, we're living in a really interesting age. Uh, Barna calls it the digital Babylon, right? And it's, it's really interesting if you think about that word, because, the day where a lot of the millennials and the Gen Z are growing up in is very much like the Babylonian uh, exile and where where Daniel and his friends, they're living in an environment that is completely, um, you know, post-Christian. And for many of us, uh, the the idea of Christian values, Christian uh, moral ethics, it doesn't resonate anymore compared to 50 years ago, right? So many Christians or those who are trying to figure out their faith they're struggling and they're like i have all these questions but when i go to church that should be the place where i can bring up these questions but oftentimes they're worried if i say the wrong thing you know people will judge me and i just don't feel safe i'd rather go to a bar with my other uh, non-christian friends and talk about life because that's where i feel accepted and i think that's a big issue today Uh, A lot of times leaders there, we need to be reminded that um, we have to set an example of what it means to define a culture where it's a safe place where people can come and have these authentic dialogues. Uh, But I think a lot of us are scared to do that. So I think that's some of the issues what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we've been talking about in this series is the idea of Ecclesia and what that means. And it, it really means family. Mm. And a family is supposed to be a safe place for you to grow, for you to learn, for you to ask hard questions. And I think if we as a church, if we really do view these, these people who are asking the hard questions that are that are millennials, that are Gen Z, that are figuring out what it means for them to live really in this post Postmodern world, or as you said, a post Christian world't mm. uh, they, don't, they don't have the same challenges that the previous generations had who grew up in a culture, particularly here in the West that was primarily Christian, and so the tools they're going to look different, the conversations they have to look different and and when I think of this idea of discipleship, right which let's again let's put discipleship in a family context, it's this whole idea of mentoring, of developing someone else of helping them along in their journey, of being willing to sit down and have hard conversations, all of those things, do the things that get us outside of our comfort zone. So in your opinion, what could it look like for us to do discipleship well in this digital age, in this digital yeah. Babylon? What, what, digital how, what did Babylon, you call it? Did you call it digital Babylon? Babylon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, you know, because of social media, um, I think what's been created is this false... Um, reality right and, and even this idea of vulnerability has been exploited by Sure leaders. it's it's
0: a means to an end It's a means to oh, an yeah. end absolutely <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and and we know like okay as leaders, we know okay when you're vulnerable, people connect. But then you're using as a strategy, and, and as a result of that, it's not authentic. It's not real, um, and I think that's a big issue. So for me, when I think about discipleship and this digital Babylon, is this whole idea of a whole life discipleship. You're not just uh, creating this program at a church and saying, hey come to this discipleship program, it's six months, you meet once a week, You know we'll go through this type of a curriculum, we'll talk about this, different things. It's, it's, it's It can't be reduced to some formulaic uh, idea. It has to be about your whole life. And when you think about Jesus and the time that he spent with all these people, he spent 90% plus time with his 12 disciples, right? And it was... Uh, actually, a, a time of looking at everything. So when you think about whole life discipleship, you're talking about your finances. You're talking about your if you're married. You're talking about your your you know family and some of the things that's happening there. You're talking about your vocation. You're talking about your 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 some of the struggles of sin and addiction. You're talking about everything. And that requires a lot of responsibility uh, for those who are actually taking on the mantle of a leader and discipler and actually saying, I'm going to put myself available and say, I'm not here to tell you everything. I'm here to guide you and direct you, uh, but we're going to do this together. And I think when you have people who are millennials who see that sense of humility, that's what they're drawn to. Um, You know, we don't want just the answer. Um, we can get that from Google or others. What we're looking for is someone who is desperate to live it out and to do it together. And a guy to be able to, you know, be there with the person, I think is going to be huge.
0: So Paul, what I'm hearing you describe yeah. is relationship. <laughs>
1: I mean, all
0: of this has to be done within the context of relationship. I love, I love what you said. This can't be reduced to a formula. Like, yes, formulas have their place. They do, but it's about relationship. It's always been about relationship. God loved the world. He loved the cosmos. And so he did something incredibly personal. He became a person so that he could live in relationship with us so that he could model what this looks like. He didn't just give us a list of rules and regulations. He he revealed the nuances of the art of being human of laying our lives down of doing all the things that we're called to do as a follower of Christ. He gave us an example and he also sent his spirit so that we as his church could build for his kingdom so we could reveal that new way of being human mm. and that cannot be done without relationship. And so I love I love I love how you hit on that so strongly. Yeah. Uh, so quest, another question for you. So how something pretty practical. How can the local church continue to share the truth of God's word because the reality is I mean we know this God's word it's it's timeless it transcends culture um however it's also very timely and we see that when we read the word of God it speaks to us differently in the different seasons of our lives but how can we as a church stand firm for truth but be very innovative and relevant in how we reach
1: yeah i think the, a, a the younger part generation. Of thinking about um reaching out to younger generation is really Really thinking through how we um, think about vocational discipleship. So I talked about whole life discipleship, and a key part of that, I think, is vocational discipleship. Barnard Group did a study, and one of their research actually says millennials who stay connected to a local church are four times more likely to say that my church— Teaches me how the Bible relates to my career. And the reason why, if you think about the statistics, hold on, career. hold on, Paul. That was yes. so good. I actually want you to repeat that. Sure. So millennials who stay connected to a local church are four times more likely to say, My church teaches me how the Bible relates to my career. Wow. That's that's <laughs> just just I, take just run with yeah. that.
0: Everyone out there, just run with that. <laughs>
1: And and, and the reason why I think it's so important to rethink how we do church is because um, so many times you think about church. It's about extracting more time, more money from, you know, the people who are coming coming to the church instead of celebrating the people who actually disengage from the institution because they're spending the time elsewhere being more missional, right? And I think a big part of vocational discipleship will help create more curiosity and actually meet the actual needs of a lot of this next generation who are considering career as central to their identity And they're wanting to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian at work, right? They want to see real examples. They want to hear from real people. I'm not saying pastors, they're not equipped to talk about this. It's very important. They do talk about the theology of work. But within the church, there's so many role models. There's so many great men and women of God who are working in the different sectors. And what can the church do is by creating connections, creating opportunities, forums, different kind of sessions to be able to talk about what does faith look like in the field of education, the field of finance, the field of entertainment. And as the church talks about that and brings up more of that, I think that is going to be something where young people are going to be like, wow, like I want to be part of an organization, a church like this, because this is what's so important to me.
0: Yeah, so what what I'm hearing you say is we have to break down this division of the sacred and the secular. Yeah. And I look, I look at Jesus' life, and no one was better at messing with people's concepts of the sacred and the secular than Jesus. Mm. And and then unfortunately, what we did, even though like Paul makes these radical statements like we are God's temple in First Corinthians three, everywhere that we go, God's temple goes with us when he's talking yes. about the fact that we are. We are essentially full of His Spirit and because we are full of His Spirit. We are His temple. We don't, we don't realize the magnitude of a statement like that. And so what we do is we confine the, the sacred expression of church to a two-hour window on Sunday morning mm-hmm. or an hour Bible study or whatever, instead of allowing people to see their everyday lives as, sec- as sacred. And what it does is it creates this hypocrisy in people Because they're like, well, I'm I'm one person when I'm in the church, but then I have to be an entirely different person when I'm out in the world because we haven't dignified what it means to be the people of God in, quote-unquote, secular spaces. And what I'm hearing you say is we need to bring people who are doing this well or being the people of God, and they have influence. We have to find ways to bring them into the institutional church so they have voice because the reality is these people are influencing the young people.
1: I mean, I mean, imagine, here's a radical idea. In- what if instead of being primarily organized around life stage for churches, what if it's a- arranged around your vocation or your calling, right? And I think that actually is a more compelling picture of what church should look like because now you could have intergenerational connections and communities. absolutely With people who are in the medical field, you know, entertainment field, fashion, you know, whatever field you're in
0: and it And it dignifies the contribution of every single generation as opposed to being like well hey we're the we're the young we're the cool generation right. we're pushing you out you've had your time to do church Absolutely. now now, just kind of sit in the back you're you're done or it 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 keeps the older generations from feeling threatened by the younger generation say, Well hey we've always done it like this instead it's a it's it's complimentative they're working together around this common pursuit. And I think, I think that's beautiful. And that's honestly, that's what Paul describes when he says the old men should teach the young men mm-hmm. and the old women should teach the young women. Absolutely. That's good. So, so Paul, we've, we've been going for a little while. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this, this last question to wrap it. Okay. Sounds good. As, as you know, the name of the series is Reset Church. So in your opinion, how can, or how does the church thrive in future generations?
1: Yeah, um, that's that's really really a good question. Um, I think, as I think about this question, I I mean it's a it's a big question, but for me, I cannot diminish the importance of role models, and I think it's so important to um, highlight role models in the church because the truth is we become who we admire, right? And I think for the church to continue to thrive for generations and generations, um, young people, they're looking for people. Um, We're living in a fatherless generation. And um, Addison, you have the privilege to being fathered by someone like John Bevere, Lisa Bevere. Right, I'm I'm the the exception. You're the exception, for sure. (laughs) But I mean, others, they would be hungry for people to, uh, to guide them, disciple them, um, and, and to model what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, I think that's being—that's um, one of the things we're missing today: is real-life examples, not just pastors. I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about. Servants of God in every sector, whether you are a doctor, a, a lawyer, uh, you know, someone who is working in um, manufacturing, you know, someone who is in whatever field. If you're a barber or whatever, whatever field you're in, how can we showcase the importance of role models and as a church uh, connect generations together, because there, I think there's a lot of magic and beauty happens within that. So being able to, as a church, um, create a community of people who are able to revolve around a sense of vocation and calling and, and leverage the power of mentoring and discipling as one of the tools to be able to really create a thriving church.
0: I love that. I love legacy. I mean, that's, and that's what I'm hearing you say. Paul... I wish we could continue to go on, um, but before we close, I want to give I want to give people more information in case they want to connect with you. How, how do they do that? Where do they go to learn more about what you're all about?
1: For sure. Um, I mean, you guys can connect with me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, or um, for my personal kind of uh, blog where I talk a lot about leadership, you can go to Paulsonsohn.org or more resources or opportunities. To learn about millennials and calling you could go to cara.qara.org as well so paul thank you so
0: much for the time today it's been a
1: pleasure Thanks, Adam, man yeah
0: pleasure yeah it's been it's been neat getting to do this and uh for everyone tuning in today just remember if you haven't subscribed be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of our Reset Church series. And also take a moment to write a review and let us know what you think and let us know what you want to hear us talk about. And if you love this episode, which I know you did, be sure to share it with your friends because that's what friends do. They share. And I always want to leave you with this thought. It's so easy to see ourselves as as less than what God sees us, but God sees you as a messenger to the people in your world. Your life is a message. So lean into his grace and watch your world change. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Messenger
1: podcast. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and be sure to subscribe and share these episodes through iTunes. You can connect with us through Facebook, Instagram, and through our website at messengerinternational.org. Until next time. (laughs) you <laughs>